This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and February, as everybody knows, is Black History Month. So black history is important throughout the year, but it gets special attention now, and I wanted to um, consult with someone about language for talking about slavery because it's evolved in the past few years. So with me is Paul Stewart, co-founder of Underground Railroad Education Center. Welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, Paul. Thank you, Bria. Pleasure to be here. And through my uh, volunteer and, and participation in, in Underground Railroad Education Center activities, it took me a while to adjust f- to some of the language that was being used. You know, I had, I'd heard about slaves and masters, and yet there were other terms, uh, for other phrases. Can you tell us a little bit about how the, the v- vocabulary has uh, evolved through time? Well, one of the things that has... Um come forward for us is the use of the term freedom seeker, which is um, the term that we prefer to use rather than escaped slaves. So a lot of times people will talk about people who had escaped from slavery and they'll say, well, this person was a slave and he's, he's, he's an escaped slave. You know, like once you're an escaped slave, you're kind of like not an escaped slave. You're a freedom seeker. You're, you're someone who has, who has, stepped away from that institution and is no longer enslaved. You're free. You know, so uh, although the law may define you, you know, in a particular way, you, you sort of seized your freedom. So uh, we like to really embrace that term freedom seeker to focus on the person's um, intentionality and uh, self-agency um, rather than that condition that the person is placed under the law. And you mentioned they escaped the institution. We often just hear of slavery, and yet you make a point of talking about the institution of slavery. Why is it important to use that word? Sure. This is another way to remind people that it is not something that just existed uh, or that was necessary, um, but it's something that was human-created and that was reinforced by laws uh, and customs similar things. You know, one of the things that I think is often uh, escapes people's remembering is that um, in many of the states where enslavement existed, they also had laws that told enslavers that they couldn't free people, or if they did free people, they had to pay for it. Uh, And so, you know, it was both a, um, it, it was another way of of reinforcing uh, and and maintaining enslavement. So um, it's an institution. It has economic supports, political supports, social supports. uh, And if those things are chipped away, that institution will fall apart. And you used one word in there that was new to me when I first got involved, and that's enslaver rather than master or owner. Why that change? Sure. Um, One of the things that we like to do is think about what perspective we're using when we talk about what's going on there. Uh, And when we describe somebody as a master, um, we're sort of buying in uh, to a certain degree to that institution. Uh, They're an enslaver. Uh, Abolitionists sometimes like to call them kidnappers, man-stealers. And that's because that's what they are. They are not uh, occupying a role that we sanction. Uh, so they're not a master. They're they're an enslaver. You know they're they're a bad guy basically, um, and we need to remember that. I think that um, one of the pieces that 
perhaps some listeners may not be be too aware of is that slavery, enslavement, was common in New York State. And uh, I went to a presentation about the building of the Erie Canal, and they said, oh, farmers helped build the Erie Canal. And somebody pointed out, yeah, it wasn't the farmers. They probably had their slaves out there digging the canals. So can you give us a perspective on the role of um, enslavement in the building of the country? Sure. You know, back in the 19th century, uh, the first half of the 19th century and in the 18th century, the, the, it was very common for uh, people with means, uh, and usually sometimes that, that would, would mean your common farmer, um, but it was very common for people with means uh, to initiate different kinds of projects like building walls or building a house or building, you know, or digging, digging a, a canal, uh, for instance. Or in the case of Washington, D.C., building the Capitol. Or building the Capitol, surely. And what they did uh, in those cases, is they didn't go out and buy a backhoe. They didn't rent a backhoe. They brought enslaved people there. Uh, and they used the enslaved people to do the, the heavy hauling and the, uh, the bringing of the bricks and uh, maybe even the placing of the bricks and things like that. So it is, although um, there have been very few sources that have really talked about the development of the Erie Canal in relation to slavery, uh, we, we do remember that the slavery in New York State ended in 1827, that prior to 1827, uh, slavery was fairly widespread uh, within the state, uh, although a lot of it was in the Hudson Valley. Uh, and, and the people who were doing projects like digging a very deep ditch, uh, that was four, what, four, four feet or more wide, four feet deep and I don't know, 20, I forget what the, the dimensions of the canal, but, um, Clinton's ditch, Clinton's ditch. Yes, that's right. Um, but you know, the typical thing to do would be to go out and bring a team of enslaved people, uh, to help get that project started. Now there's a lot of stuff written about, uh, folks who were, um, Irish laborers who were involved in the building of the canal, particularly in the Western part of the state. But, um, there are some sources that do, uh, make reference to the use of enslaved people, um, in, in connection with the building of the canal. Are there any other terms or terminology or ways of phrasing things that you might want to call to our attention? Well, um, we do, like I say, we, we do favor the term freedom seeker, you know, enslaver rather than master. They're probably in the institution of slavery rather than just talking about slavery. Uh, but there are probably some others that, that don't readily come to mind, but, uh, but those are the core things, I think. I suspect they don't come to mind because you are so imbued in the language that you don't even think about it anymore. And yet, uh, you talked a little bit about why this is important in terms of the labeling. Can you say a little bit more about what, how changing the vocabulary may affect people in how they think about the reality? Well, again, you know, this idea of uh, identifying people as freedom seekers and recognizing that uh, once somebody has chosen to flee enslavement, they're they're basically you know out of you know the the cat's out of the bag so to speak you know, <laughs> um, and uh, the, you know they're not going to be kept uh, as an enslaved person. There's a story that I just read recently about uh, Charity Still, who um, escaped um, twice uh, in order to to make uh, seize her freedom, uh, or even the story of uh, Frederick Douglass who escaped. Uh, 
uh, more than once before he before it stuck, so to speak. Uh, and even Harriet Tubman, um, she had her occasion of escaping, then returning, and then escaping again. So, um, you know, freedom certainly is a mindset. And when people have decided that they're going to be free, uh, even if they're being kept somewhere on a plantation, there's nothing that the plantation owner can really do to contain them. And it's officially an Underground Railroad story now because you mentioned Harriet Tubman, who is probably the best-known person. You also mentioned Frederick Douglass, who people will know for his famous oratory. Uh, And then Henry Highland Garnett is a local person. Tell us about Henry Highland Garnett. Yeah, so Henry Highland Garnett um, and his family uh, escaped from enslavement in the 1820s. They made their way uh, to New Jersey. They spent some time there. Uh, Henry Highland Garnett, as a young person coming up, uh, went to the African Free School in New York City. Later on, he went to the uh, Noise Academy in New Hampshire, uh, and then to the Whitsboro School, um, the uh, theology, the manual labor school near uh, Whitsboro, New York. He was called to the ministry. His first pulpit was in Troy, New York, at the Liberty Street Presbyterian Church. Later on, he pastored a church in in New York City and then Washington, D.C. He was the first African-American minister to uh, present a prayer before Congress and preach a sermon. Also, later on in his life, he became the president of uh, Avery College, uh, which was a college that was starting for African-American folks. So, um, when people think about someone who has escaped from enslavement, some of these stories are, are truly amazing, and uh, uh, you know they don't you don't you don't go on thinking about that person as a person enslaved all the time. So we've talked about the language of ensla- of enslavement. We've talked about a couple people who used language in the time to challenge the institution of slavery. If people want more information about Underground Railroad, especially here in Albany, where do they go? Uh, come to our website, undergroundrailroadhistory.org. You can find out about the Stephen and Harriet Myers historic site, uh, schedule a tour experience, and uh, find out about other programs that we have going on. Thanks a lot. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, talking with Paul Stewart, co-founder of the Underground Railroad Education Center. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thank you, Bria.